Welcome to Relevant Parties by Carhartt Work in Progress. I'm Charles Ravens, and in this series, I'm going behind the scenes at some of the world's best independent record labels to meet the visionaries and the obsessives who've made musical history. In each episode, we sit down with one of these label founders to find out what makes them tick. We hear the tall tales and big ideas behind some of the most influential records and scenes of the past 30 years, and maybe try to work out just what possessed them to take on one of the most challenging jobs in the music industry. For a certain cohort of millennial ravers, Ed Banger was the gateway drug. In the early 2000s, it was the label that could lure the skinny jeans indie kids onto the dance floor with an ear-splitting fusion of electro, hip-hop and straight-up rock and roll. A total aesthetic, mixing street art, logo t-shirts, sunglasses in the club and a resolutely uncouth attitude. Some called it heavy metal disco, some called it bloghouse. But whatever it was, it constituted a movement. You had Mr. Wazo's Outre Spin on Electro, Sebastian's legendary remixes, Justice taking electronic rock to absurd new heights, and Uffy rapping her way to alt-pop notoriety. Ed Banger founder Busy P was in the scene from the beginning. From before the beginning, in fact. Pedro Winter was a teenage skate rat listening to heavy metal and the Beastie Boys when he had his rave epiphany. And throughout the 90s, he was the driving force behind Paris's tight-knit, but soon-to-be massively influential club scene. His career is defined by two chance encounters with brilliant musical duos. A meeting with the young Thomas Bangalta and Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo, which resulted in him managing one of the greatest electronic acts ever. And an introduction to Justice when they were still kids in leather jackets, ready to release the era's defining anthem, We Are Your Friends. Pedro dialed in from the basement of the Ed Banger office in Paris, surrounded by records, flyers, props of various kinds. Obviously, we ended up talking about Daft Punk a lot, because how could you not? And when we spoke, it was only a few weeks after they'd announced their split, which was an interesting time to get some personal reflections on the robot's influence and indeed some never-before-revealed information about what goes on inside those helmets. But we also talked about the history of the Paris club scene and the boundless creativity of the late, great DJ Mehdi, who was so crucial to Ed Banger's success. Not to mention some wild parties and that whole thing where Daft Punk accidentally invented EDM. For an even richer listening experience, don't forget to queue up our Ed Banger playlist. Just search for Relevant Parties on Spotify and you'll be greeted with playlists for this and all episodes in both series so far. Now, it's time to apply your shutter shades. So Ed Banger is a label that you know, means quite a lot to me because of the particular time that I got into dance music. And I guess I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, the things that make each label unique of all the labels that I've spoken to on relevant parties. And I think one of the things about Ed Banger that I kind of keep close to my heart is that they, you were kind of like a, a gateway drug. <laughs> I think there's like a whole generation of kids who were maybe into other types of music who congealed and found themselves in the disco together in this really exciting time which I think like the repercussions of that are kind of still playing out or have been playing out for a long time I mean there's a lot to talk about but I I wonder if we can maybe begin with that and this kind of idea that Ed Banger is almost like a, a rock and roll label in a kind of pure sense right it's like it's about having fun and it's about 
youth to an extent, or it certainly felt like it was quite a young scene, like when it was first breaking through. And maybe it was kind of going against a slightly serious electronic vibe that was also existing at that time. Tell me a little bit about how you see Ed Bangers being not necessarily a dance label, but possibly a kind of broader, I want to say rock and roll. How do you feel about that? <laughs> First, uh, thank you for the, the nice words. And, and I think you said it all. And uh, I like and I love the fact uh, to hear that uh, um, Ed Banger Records means uh, youth, uh, mixed uh, genre, uh, party, freedom, uh, generosity, uh, and and in your in your words, this is what I feel. And um, and uh, and yes, we we the, the the idea was to to be a bit different than the other electronic music label. And um, the, the 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 fact that the the artists of the label were coming from different uh, styles of music, and um, and the fact that also we we started the label in in, in the early two thousand uh, allow us to bring different people together. And exactly as you said, you know, and I often uh, uh, explain that to, to, to people, I, I feel just very lucky to be at the right corner. You know, I was there uh, when the hip hop kids wanted to go to rave. We were there when electronic uh, fans uh, wanted to, to stage dive. And uh, <laughs> we, were, we were there exactly, you know, when the, uh, the, the, the fan of the of the strokes wanted to take ecstasy you know and uh, <laughs> and i believe we were there at the, at the right time again i feel very lucky we didn't invent anything you know like uh, i i have a lot of uh, respect and love for Erol alcan too many djs uh, james murphy all those people you know djl in in, in germany all those people you know uh, gave us you know the the, the energy to do what we've done the, 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 I hope we we add some magic, some French uh, magic on it, bringing, of course, my experience with that. All of this made a special cocktail, and and again, uh, uh, it can only give me a, a goosebump to hear, you know, you like saying, oh, Ed Banger kind of uh, opened me to electronic music. Uh, I I have my first souvenir of of this uh, Justice Show or this uh, DJ Mediset. Uh, mm. I, I love the fact in, inside of people we touch the art of the people rather than being, you know, number one label or whatever. You know, I, I don't I don't run my label to to be uh, a successful, uh, you know, uh, gold records and, and, and number one. I, I run my label to hear uh, what you, you just uh, explained, you know. So for you personally, uh, I believe that you ended up having a kind of similar route to, to some Edbanger fans where you started out listening to metal and you were a skater and you kind of had a rave epiphany i guess mm -hmm. um would you mind telling me a little bit about your kind of rave epiphany like the first times that you stood in front of the big speakers and kind of had that feeling yeah i you know i i, I it was such a powerful moment i it, i have the date you know and, and i still have the flyer of the rave it was it was in 1992 exactly uh, wow. a bit out, outside of paris and at the time i knew about electronic music without knowing it you know like i was listening to dance music on the radio. Mm -hmm. But as I was heavy metal and stuff, I kind of uh, reject, you know, the, the, the smiley thing for us was kind of a, a joke, you know, coming from like a, a Metallica head, I was, you know. And mm -hmm. um, and one day, like a friend of us, a, sk a skateboarder, uh, took us, like we were like, I think 10 of us, we went to a rave to this huge warehouse and we were 5,000 kids, totally free to do what we want, to dress as we want, to dance like we want. Uh, to stay up till whatever, you know, 
and um, and I just it just smashed my head, uh, and I loved it, and uh, I embraced it uh, very quickly, and I spent most of my weekend. Uh, outside uh, of Paris and into the in, into the raves and the electronic music you can hear there was something you couldn't hear anywhere you know it wasn't dance music it was a new genre it was like you know a techno and trance at the beginning you know and uh, yeah it, it smashed just my head and uh, I wanted to be part of this was it unusual for a skate kid to get into dance music at that point was that what some of your other mm. kind of skater friends were doing too yeah, no, that's a, that's a very good question. Of course, you know, skateboard is affiliated with, you know, punk rock, you know, or speed metal or really, you know, uh, hardcore music. But mm. na- in the 90s, it started to move to more like hip hop, you know, like because skateboard has always been uh, in advance of like the youth culture. And at the beginning of the 2000s, skateboarders used to wear very uh, baggy pants, you know, and stuff like that. So they were <laughs> entering into the hip hop scene. So we had more and more hip hop in the skateboard videos. And of course, some of those skaters, especially the one, you know, from uh, from California, started to go out in raves and stuff like that. And the imagery, you know, like the, the of rave started to come into the skateboard culture. And mm. um, so it was still like the early beginnings. You know, it was a it was a, a weird move to go to a rave at that time. Right, right. And I like it. <laughs> Where are you actually from? Because is your family French? Because uh, obviously Pedro Winter doesn't sound like the fr- Frenchest name ever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'm totally French, uh, born and raised uh-huh. in Paris. Uh, Pedro is, is a nickname. My real first name is Pierre, like a really oh, French right. uh, name. Uh, Winter is my <laughs> last name. Winter is definitely my real last name. And, uh-huh. uh, and Pedro just came from like my, uh, my father used to live in South America. In Venezuela, mm-hmm. exactly. And when I was going there, Pierre became translated by Pedro, and I kept it. Well, there's already a DJ Pierre, you know. And and DJ Pierre was <laughs> already exactly. In fact, DJ Pierre was my first CD. A friend of no, mine really? o- offered me the DJ Pierre CD just because my name was Pierre. He didn't <laughs> know about Chicago or anything. And I have this CD now, and it's so precious for me. It was like the early strictly rhythm years of uh, DJ Pierre. Just amazing. Okay, let's have a let's have a moment in mid nineties Paris then, because there's a lot to get through. You see, uh, so you were running the second room at David Guetta's night, right? Yes. Can you give me a bit of a sense of nineties France dance scene? Is kind of increasingly, I think, mythologized in lots of ways. You know, like I'm too young, but I kind of had this sense of what it might have been like. T- tell me a little bit about what it was really like because for example there was this burst of creativity with french djs producers was that something that like paris was engaged in like together or was there actually was are we talking about a tiny niche of people like what what's the who's the crowd there is definitely like a a paris for 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 people to know it's a big city but a very small village you know at the end you know (laughs) like it's a uh, we were all going to the same record stores uh, mm. we were hanging out in the same raves in same parties so it's a small world at the end and the fact that um, Daft Punk you know uh, started uh, to to become famous in the UK kind of uh, unleash the fact that uh, people are uh, shy to express themselves you know and for example Air which is a French band you know um, uh, grew up at the same time as Daft Punk you know they were in the same neighborhood um, mm. the guy of Cassius uh, at, the, at the same time Saint-Germain who wasn't from the same energy 
did his uh, project, you know, more like jazzy and house uh, on his side. But uh, at the end of the day, the whole group of uh, French artists kind of uh, emulate themselves. You know, it wasn't about competition, but more about like, uh, okay, uh, it gives strength to all of the artists. So it was definitely something happening uh, uh, globally. You know, like uh, I like the, the to rethink uh, the scene was... Uh, trying to stick together because we, I, I believe, you know, um, we, we were stronger together and, and, and we kind of prove it a bit later. You know, we had those parties called respect parties on Wednesday at Paris Queen and every Wednesday night, the, the whole Paris, you know, we wanted to listen to house music and you had like a break dancers. Uh, the, the, it was in a gay club. So you had like a, a gay culture being uh, invaded by breakers, uh, skateboarders. Yeah. Uh, house heads and and it was kind of unique and uh, yeah. and 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 we have to pay uh, respect to those respect parties that was happening every Wednesday night in Paris and this is where you could see the whole scene uh, all the DJs of Paris performed there then those parties traveled they, they, they had like a residency in New York uh, they, they, they came to London they traveled everywhere in Asia and everywhere so yeah there was definitely like a, a, a common um, and powerful, uh, like a creation coming from Paris. I watched the film Eden last year. Did you see that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Did you recognize that kind of portrayal of Paris in the nineties? Honestly, the movie wasn't a, a success, but it it was super well done. And the French director uh, Mia Hansen Love, she did a brilliant uh, job of also challenging herself to 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 tell a story of uh, someone who is not famous. I mean, she did the, the portrait of, not a, I don't like the loser, but, uh, uh, you know, like not some, someone not successful, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I think that's, that's, that's touching and interesting. But she did pretty well uh, done the spirit of the parties at that time. Yeah, I, I, it was super well done because she, the, she co-wrote the, the, the movie with a DJ from the 90s, a guy called Sven Love. Uh, who was definitely part of the scene at the time. Yeah, I, I watched it. I I didn't love it, partly because I felt like, I guess I, I, I was expecting it to be like, yay, let's go to Paris in the 90s and have a great time. And then it, uh, like over time, the film is not having a great time. <laughs> so me, me neither. I was, uh, you know, I, I, I can't say I love the movie, but the, the only the thing that I respect is the joy, the, the fact today you can make not happy movie, you know, like, I mean, and a boring movie, you know, like, and yeah. that's, that's, yeah. that's, I think that's interesting to, you know, if I had to do a movie about that time, it would be completely different. You know, I think yours would be more colourful, Pedro. It would be definitely more fun, I think. But uh, <laughs> It'd be more like 24-hour party people. Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. All right. So we're speeding through the years. In 90... Oh, either 95 or 96, you start managing Daft Punk, right? So In you were doing yeah, a party, yeah. 96. Daft Punk come along, they give you two tracks, and you decide, yep, I'm all in on this. And the three of you, who are all incredibly young at the time, go for it, right? 20 years old, yeah. 20 years old. All right, we're speeding through, but I wanted to ask a little bit about, so as the manager of Daft Punk, you kind of oversaw them signing a deal with Virgin, right? Virgin yes. was the label. And it's interesting because Virgin is like this label that started out as, I guess, an indie, an independent label. But by the 90s, I don't think you could really call it any mm. kind of indie, like it was a massive label. What kind of things did you learn from dealing with Virgin that you kind of took through to how you run Ed Banger? 
Mm, that's interesting. I don't. I honestly, I don't think I took you know uh, anything in particularly uh, to run my level because, as you said, you know, Virgin is such a huge boat, and and I am a small uh, zodiac, you know, so I can't run uh, like my indie level like like you run a, a, a world company. But but I have a lot of love and respect for the people I met during the time, and in fact, it's not a secret. The the, the head of Virgin France at the time, which is Emmanuel de Burtel. He's my partner, he's still my partner today. And um, he launched his own indie label called Because Music. He's my partner uh, since the beginning, not, not the beginning of Ed Banger, but he jumped from the boat quite early, like 2005 or 2006. And I like and I'm cherishing this uh, relationship. I love uh, loyal people. And it, it just showed me that you can be like the head of a, a, a world company because after being uh, Virgin France, uh, he was also Virgin Europe and then EMI uh, Europe uh, boss. So he, he kind of run a, a big boat at the time. And he always uh, trusts and follow uh, the Daft Punk uh, craziness and project, like uh, invest in more videos, invest in, in different uh, marketing ideas, etc. And uh, so I from the Virgin team at the time, but more into the, the fact of, uh, you know, always reinvest. And for example, uh, on, a, on very on a small scale, but at Ed Banger, the success of Justice allows me to do some smaller project and and invest, you know, on, on smaller act, even if mm. we don't sell much uh, records. And uh, and I believe, you know, the the label is 18 years old now. We started the the conversation. You asked me uh, how I was, and I'm and I'm feeling good because the foundation are strong, you know. And uh, of course, there is a, a worldwide crisis. But since we have our feet on earth and well attached uh, because the company is solid, we can stand the crisis. And, I, and I've learned this from working with the, the Virgin team that uh, to create your business, you have to, you know, first consolidate the basis. And after that, you're mm -hmm. growing up. So I don't know if we, I, I don't I'm not talking about uh, buildings. You know, I still have the same office for, for the past 20 years and I like it like mm -hmm. that. But I, I love the fact that, you know, the artist can count on us and we are here, you know, to invest and create and believe in their project. And this is mm. how I run my level. So, by the way, I'm kind of there might be things that I feel like I'm skipping over, but only because there are aspects of the story, including your story with Daft Punk, that are like they're out there. You've told those stories. So I'm trying yeah. to maneuver to some new yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. clearly... In this period, late 90s, you are managing Daft Punk, who are becoming absolutely massive in a level, in a way that's, I think, is probably only even understandable from a distance, like looking back on the kind of impact. However, you were also uh, running a party with DJ Mehdi mm -hmm. at a club called Pulp. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Mehdi, because in terms of, you know, loyalty and friendship, and that is... That is a foundation of the label. So when did you first meet Mehdi? What was your kind of initial friendship? The, the initial friendship is uh, is dated uh, because it was uh, happening in New York City. Uh, we were doing like a, a crazy, you know, I told you about the respect parties uh, just before. Oh, yeah, yeah. And mm. those parties, they, they had a residency in a big club in New York called the Twilo, which, which was like a big, big, you know, very famous club in New York. And that night, respect party are throwing a party and wait for it. Daft Punk, Cassius, Rome Anthony, 
and François Kevorkian. Uh, was Romain Anthony singing with Daft Punk as well? N no, you know what, Charles? Oh. It was before. We are in we are in uh, we are in uh, 1998. Oh, amazing! Yeah, so Romain Anthony was already a legend for us. You know, we were yeah, like, yeah. A, a, everybody in Paris, and I'm sure it was the same in London. Was you know uh, uh, chasing like a new uh, the, his label was called uh, was called Blackmail. So any new blackmail record release was like kind of crazy because we only had 10 in Paris. And we met Roman Anthony that time in, in New York. But to go back to your question, uh, Cassius uh, was playing in, in New York too. And Cassius, so Philippe Zdar and, and Boombas, they were also working in Paris for a big French act called MC Solar, which is like a, uh, the, the biggest French MC. And a young kid was producing music for MC Solar and the kid was DJ Medi. He was a hip hop producer, but to a Daft Punk party. So they, they arrived in New York with Medi. We had a dinner together and we didn't, uh, we, 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 we kind of felt in love and we, and we spent the last 13 years together. Uh, but the kind of the magic happened that night of uh, March uh, 1998. Tell me then about what the kind of musical influences are in terms of what, what Medi's bringing or what you're bringing, where you kind of meet in the middle. Because one thing that's really occurred to me is that a lot of, what people consider to be like the French sound, maybe not so much the kind of Bangalter type mm. of French touch, but but your sound, it's actually like really heavily in a hip hop and electro lineage, right? In terms mm. of like sampling and in terms of like this, maybe the sort of textures, things like that. Like it's not strictly like oh, it's it's house music mm. that filters and dirty, whatever. Uh, again, you 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 have the, the the perfect approach. I introduce Moody Man or Kenny Dope. To DJ Medi, and he pushed me into a public enemy or uh, a Ruby and Rakim, you know. Um, yeah. Even though I was already, uh, I was already a hip hop head, you know. Like uh, we kind of exchange our passion, and very quickly we realize, you know. And in fact, just to go back on Medi, the fun fact, he pushed, he introduced me, you know, like to okay, I knew public enemy, of course, but he was like, okay, you should listen to this one, you should listen. But also, he, he invited me to listen to the Beatles or to Eric Clapton, which you know, of course I knew, but I wasn't into it much, you know, and Mehdi oh, wow, was, okay. was this unique guy being, uh, he knew every, every lyrics of Public Enemy, but he knew every lyrics of the Beatles. Wow. And, <laughs> and uh, just to, to tell you, you know, the, the, the genius he was and, and the importance he had in our life at the time, because he was just like a when you starting to pick music about him, then you realize like we were not ready for that. You know, he, he wasn't just like a, a guy, you know, making a boom bam beat for hip hop. You know, so to go back to what you said exactly, at Banger, you know, um, uh, we are an electronic uh, uh, music label because those are the tools we are using. But the music we we, we put in those tools uh, is coming definitely uh, more from uh, you know like a Timbaland or DJ Premier. You know, even, you know, DJ Premier, which is one of my favorite uh, hip hop producers, I feel I love to hear when people compare Sebastian, which is an artist from the label, the way he, sh he cut and shop the samples, they compare it to DJ Premier, you know, so often, yeah. often, uh, like you did, uh, people are comparing uh, the, our sound or the way we produce more to the like uh, hip hop producers than you know, like a, a classic, uh, you know, uh, Carl Craig or legendary, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Mills, you know. Yeah, and I think that applies a lot to to Mr. Waza as well. I mean, Quentin Completely. is like a huge 
hip hop like hip, when hip hop and electro were nearly the same mm. thing that sound is so important to what he does yeah, I guess it's a good one because Mr. Wazo for example few people knows but for me he's more mad lib than any uh, electronic producer you know yeah 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 MPC kind of stuff I guess like the the choppiness exactly mm. On that note, I, I just want to dig up one story that I know is publicly known, but it's just really, I, I love this. Jay Diller sampled mm. a Thomas Bangalter track. He didn't ask for permission, though, did he? No. So it was the first, I think we are back in uh, 1999. and uh, Second Sun Village album, maybe? I, I will say the, fir- the first one, but uh, I'm, I okay. might be wrong. So we are in 1999. I'm already into a JD Last sound. I don't know how come I discover his, his beats and stuff, but probably maybe of a tribe called Quest or, you know, like uh, at the time, you know, oh, they, yeah, yeah. they had this, uh, the Huma. I don't know if it's like really like for the, for the nerd. The Huma was the, like a mega group, you know, with Q-Tip, JD La and, and few other uh, producers. Yeah. And, and then JD catch my, my ears. And uh, and then I dig into it and, and of course, discover uh, Slum Village and one day raise it up, a track from a, a, a Slum Village uh, appear. And to be honest with you, at the beginning, even though the sample is huge, the first listen, I was just like, whoa, that song is, is amazing. But I didn't realize. And in fact, <laughs> and in fact we, I have to give credit to uh, Guy Manuel's brother. His name is Paul. And uh, he, he listened to it. He, he was uh, chilling at the office sometimes, uh, at the Daft Punk office. And then he said, whoa, 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 whoa. It sounds familiar. And then we, <laughs> we, we of course, we quickly realized that JD sampled a, a, a Thomas Bengalter track, which the original was pretty techno and heavy. You know, it was on uh, Tracks on the Rocks yeah. when Thomas went uh, really like Chicago style of house music. Yeah, it's hard, and, dry. And, yeah, and JD smartly and in a like in a very classy way just unpitch the track and did like a crazy uh, hip-hop beats on it and of course uh, we immediately uh, spoke about it with the with the daft punk boys and i told them that's that's the moment we have to to you know to catch the the the, the thing rather than you know calling a lawyer or whatever which was uh, no no point uh, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decided uh, to email him. So I, I, I spoke with Slum Village manager at the time in Detroit, and uh, super nicely. I don't know if they were even embarrassed because my words were super friendly. You know, like I told them, guys, yeah. we we'll, we we'll love you. No, no drama. Of course, you know, Daft Punk at the time starting to to be a big thing. It was like the, mm-hmm. the, the two thousand at the moment when Discovery two thousand one when Discovery was released, and uh, I told them, okay let's let's uh you know be let's do a, a fair deal and in fact jd the guy from slum village and karim riggins we have to to shout out also karim riggins uh who was also a, a, a jd la a, a brother in studio all work together on this uh daft punk remix and it's definitely one of the things that i'm the most proud of that i achieve uh, as you know like uh, you're working the daft punk team but I, I was the one really insisting of doing it cool, the cool way, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting as well, isn't it? Considering that you then have like, because historically, you know, it's the artist sampling, maybe like a hip hop artist who has sampled something and then they get in trouble with someone who, you know, maybe just isn't really okay with sampling as a concept. Mm-hmm. But of course, Daft Punk were very okay with sampling as a concept. Yeah, so it's not yeah. as though you could have been like, hey, you stole my music because they understand the, the logic. 
Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, 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 the sampling uh, game has never been like a, a problem, you know, for us. It's part of our culture and it's a two-way thing, right. you know. To continue just on this one, because that's that's interesting. After that, when Kanye uh, West sampled, you know, like harder, better, faster, stronger to, to, to make stronger, it was like the similar vibe, you know. We were, of course, super happy for it. Later on, when Swiss Beats sampled a Justice song, you know, uh, he sampled Dance for a, a track uh, with Jay-Z. Same, again, Kanye and Jay game for the Watch the Throne album. So it was, it's, it's amazing to, to, to see that your music is being sampled, you know, like, uh, I know it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's it's cool as well. I mean, Daft Punk just have such impact, particularly within like the A list of US hip hop. Mm-hmm. You know, they. Just, I mean, watching the reactions. I mean, we can get onto this later, maybe, but seeing the kind of global reaction to last week's big news about uh, about Daft Punk splitting up, it's like you realize like what a huge. You know, there are there are going to be a lot of people who's like only electronic album they have is Daft Punk. And it's because yeah. they're into like Kanye and stuff like that. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's crazy. So uh, there was a good, uh, there was a good quote in a, the long RBMA lecture that you did a long time ago um, that I wanted to kind of which one? Sorry, fish which out one again. Uh, you did an RBMA lecture, I think oh, back yes. in like, oh, yeah. oh, like 2009 or something. With a crazy haircut. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, it? I tried. I was tried reading it. it. I remember. Oh, yes. I'm glad you didn't watch it because I tried something I didn't watch the day it. before and it wasn't a good idea. I tried like some <laughs> oasis uh, haircut, uh, so I don't know why. Yeah. I, I kind of always imagine that this is the haircut that you've always had. This is this is your look. Yeah, but right? not the one on the Red Bull. Uh, mm. Okay, well, now I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. Anyway, you were asked something about Daft Punk and you, and you described them as being the kings of no and that one of the kind of secrets to their success in a way is just being able to mm. simply say no to things, not necessarily for any reason other than they just don't want to do them, they mm. don't feel the pressure. Um, and I guess I wanted to think about that for, for a label, for a label that's trying to, you know, make its way. How did you kind of absorb that lesson? I guess I'm I'm curious about if there's anything that you ever said no to that you later wish that you hadn't, that you wish that you had in fact said yes to. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you mean with Ed Banger or with Daft Punk? Um, well, both maybe, but with Ed Banger, but both. Yeah, no, with Ed Banger, there is something I regret, of course, but uh, that's 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 life. Uh, uh, Bruno Mars wanted to make some music with Breakboat. Oh wow! And uh, but did he? Time, didn't he basically just kind of? In, get inspired by the song instead of uh, yeah, but then is that what this, happened? This we realize later. So it's 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 good to inspire people, but uh, I, I regret we missed the boat at the time. Of course, it's it's easy to say now because the the story is uh, is uh, written. But uh, Break Boat was working on his new uh, on his first album, so we 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 said oh sorry, and Bruno Mars didn't uh, release any nothing before, you know. So we were oh sorry, the two of them could have done um, crazy crazy music. Uh, but that's that's one thing. Uh, and but on ju- the d- just to explain that here, um, just to explain that Bruno Mars then released a track. I can't actually remember what it's called now. That's like heavily inspired by the track that he might have done with Breakbot. Right? Exactly, that, exactly. That yeah, plan. it, it yeah, was yeah. kind of uh, the same uh, chord than uh, "Baby I'm Yours" from uh, from Breakbot. Yeah, but that's part of the game, you know. So this is why sure. you, you know. Uh, but uh, on the Daft Punk side, I can you know like. Uh, I can only respect their choices, you know, uh, but uh, we met, you know, Bjork, uh, Janet Jackson, all those people at the time. And um, and inside of me, I was burning like, wow, guys, 
imagine <laughs> you and Bjork. Because me, I always, you know, uh, again, I, I was lucky to be in the Daft Punk bubble at the time, but I never left my uh, fan position. Mm. You know, I love everything they were doing. And I was in the center of this. And when I got the Bjork team calling me, oh, Pedro, Bjork is in town. She want to meet you guys. So we go to our hotel room. And inside of me, I'm like, whoa, because I, I'm a big fan of Bjork. And I was like, okay, let's let's make it happen. Let's make it. And at the the moment I'm I'm telling them, they say, oh no no, we we have to concentrate on our project. Uh, uh, we have to work on this. We have to do that. So they're already killing me. So the king of no, in fact, it was an article in a in an English magazine. A guy did a, a piece on me, and I told and I told them my job is to say no to everybody, and and he and he named me the king of no. Uh, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, because I was saying no, you know, like to, I, it's funny because the other day, you know, since Daft Punk announced the, the fact that they will not make music anymore together, I'm, I'm kind of, we are in my basement right now, literally. It's my studio. And also in the back, there are some boxes filled with the souvenirs, flyers, et cetera, et cetera. And the other day I was like, okay, let's open one of those boxes I didn't open for 15 years mm -hmm. or something. And I found some faxes that I sang, uh, you know, to George Michael team or to Janet Jackson. Oh wow! So, so one day I will have to to scan them, and 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 it's going to be funny <laughs> to realize like we turned down a lot of uh, exciting projects. Let's move. We can move into uh, the two thousands now. So, so you started Ed Banger by the sounds of it, basically because you were kind of fed up with managing. You didn't want to manage any more people, at least. And you heard a track by Mr. Flash called Radar Rider that you thought, yes, yes, let's put this out. And then quite soon afterwards, you met Justice, who gave you their track, and you thought, yes, I want to put this out too. And that track is obviously We Are Your Friends. Tell me about the kind of beginnings then of Ed Banger and how maybe how those two tracks helped you think about what the label was going to be. Like, did you actually have a clear vision for the kind of music you wanted to put out? Like, was it a reaction to other things that you felt were lacking in, yeah. in France? Or No, no, I had I had absolutely no vision, you know. <laughs> uh, what I mean is that uh, the day I decided I proposed Mr. Flash to release his music, when I woke up in the morning, I didn't know I will release a record or launch a label that day, you know. So, no, no, I'm, I'm totally honest with you. It's totally spontaneous. And even today, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, like 18 years later, I'm still uh, uh, do everything I do in a spontaneous way. Uh, and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Mr. Flash uh, came to see me with this track, which sounded like a bit like a DJ Shadow uh, hip hop. Yeah, it's very hip hop, really. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. an in instrumental hip hop. And me, as a big fan of Moax and James Level and, and DJ Shadow, of course, mm -hmm. uh, I kind of like, uh, okay, this is the French way. This is how I want to do it. And so I decided to release this music. But then, a few weeks after, I meet the Justice Boys and they play me Never Be Alone, the remix of the Simian. Uh, the, the, the indie band Simian and I, I fall in love right away and I tell them come to my office the next day we're going to release this and I didn't know them I met the guy mm. in, a, in a dinner the label was nothing it was the it, <laughs> it, Never Be Alone will become the second release of the label and it has nothing to do with Mr. Flash music yeah right so, right. so I can't really say about vision or maybe my vision was a blurry thing uh, let's put out uh, records and we'll see what's going on so maybe that's why my that that was my vision, but um, mm. yeah. So we, we we launched the label like that. At the time, I was of course still working for Daft Punk, and I was working for Cassius for DJ Medi uh, already. And I think you know uh, inside of me, 
Thomas and Guiman of Daft Punk, they had their own label. You know, Thomas got Roulé and Guiman has Cuid Amour. Maybe inside of me, I said, oh, they have their own imprint. I should have mine too, you know. I think uh, uh, with the time and again, the experience, I wanted to create my uh, my own thing. So yeah, so I, I did it again, uh, very spontaneous way. And I like also the parallel with uh, skateboarding, which is a, a culture that really is important to me. When you have like six or 10 stairs front of you, if you sing too much, you will not go. You know, you will not jump over because the only thing you will <laughs> think of is, oh, I'm going to break my uh, my neck. And, <laughs> and and I think it's the same for me for the label. You know, if you sing too much, oh, I'm going to lose money. Oh, there is no more record store. Oh, there is the DG of, oh, there is the streaming. You will not move. So, and, mm-hmm. I, and I launched my label a bit uh, this way, you know, like, let's do this. Let's only this music business. <laughs> Um, was it you that came up with the phrase heavy metal disco? I don't know where that came from, but it seems to have followed, followed you around a little bit. Heavy metal disco? No, I don't know. No, it's not coming from me. Or maybe I did. I don't know. No, I don't know if it's me. <laughs> yeah, but it's perfect. It's exactly, you know, who we are. And uh, uh, of course, the, the image. Of course, people, heavy metal because of the cross of justice and the, and, and the fact they wear a leather jacket and stuff. And we play loud music and the martial amps on stage. Uh, and disco because yeah. uh, we love Nile Rodgers and, uh, and 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 Giorgio Moroder, you know. So there is a mix and a confrontation of two worlds, which you know needed to be uh, taken by a label, and and, and Ed Banger uh, is born for that. Yeah. Did you feel as if that sound kind of spontaneously formed and multiplied as new artists joined the label or was there some other kind of was it that once a couple of people had done it that there were sort of copycat people or like I, I'm, I'm trying to work mm. out like why it was at this moment produced this sound which now you listen back and it does sound mm-hmm. like that time and I, I just wonder like is it because people heard justice and tried to do that or is was there something a bit more like in the waters like somehow people were moving towards it yeah, I think I, uh, I, I, let, let's not be too pretentious. I think it was definitely something in the air. You know, uh, I don't like the word, but it, it means something. Do you know what they call the blog house? Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. You know, <laughs> I'm far too familiar with blog house. I'm far. Too I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you invented it. Uh, no, child, but, no, uh, <laughs> no. I was merely swept up in it. Okay, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't like this word, but it means something. Right. It means something. The fact that uh, MySpace uh, arrived in our life, it was a way, you know, for uh, all of us to to connect together, uh, to create a, a link, a bridge between Paris and Los Angeles, Paris and London, uh, yep. you know, Mastercraft in Canada. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, you know, Erol in, in, in London. It means something, you know, it, it was the beginning. People need to understand. Of course, we're in 2021 now, but Let's go back 15 years later. It wasn't as easy, you know, to express yourself, to exchange music. You know, like we didn't have all those uh, Dropbox and WeTransfer. And, uh, uh, and and MySpace was a pretty uh, crazy window for us, you know, with this uh, little uh, music player. You, you could play, you know, four tracks. You choose your eight friends in your top eight friends. <laughs> and it meant something. And, uh, and also, you know, we were joking together with the artists, they had access to our real life. Mm. People who felt really like, oh, they are my friends. They are speaking on, on they, they, they are, you know, like uh, speaking in front of us. Uh, they, they, there was something like a real, when we were talking about community, it felt it means something. And uh, and the, 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 the fact that the music uh, traveled that fast 
uh, helps a lot. So yeah, so to go back to your question, yes, I, I think something was in the air. And again, to go back to the earlier of what we were saying, Spank Rock uh, was a hip hop guy going to wanted to to party. Uh, then the Simian guys, they already wanted to 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 make electronic music, mm -hmm. so they start to get rid of their guitars and amps and buy a drum machine and samplers. Mm. So something like uh, something was, was in there and Justice wanted to be Black Sabbath rather than being the new Daft Punk, you yeah, know? So, yeah. so that's, uh, and also to give credit also to uh, Gigolo Records in, in Germany, you know, they had the big electro clash thing who definitely was more uh, electronic orientated, you know, because it was really like crowd rock, uh, yep. crowd-verky, you know, sounds yep. without the funk. And of course, we brought the funk back <laughs> into this thing. And this what makes, you know, uh, Ed Banger the, the right, you know, bridge and, and doing this relevant parties uh, project with a car makes sense to me being uh, next to a ghostly or, you know, uh, uh, or Stone Throw, for example, yeah. you know, exactly. Yeah. We, are the, we are the missing link, you know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, so it, 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 I, I was really proud and honored when the uh, Michael and the team called, uh, called us to be part of this uh, uh, project together. Let's talk a little bit about the visual side of Ed Banger, because definitely, mm. I mean, there have been some labels in in, our, in my series so far that have got very strong visual identities, but Ed Banger is definitely way up there, something that you've obviously always been quite, quite interested mm. in. And you've worked with some people specifically like, I don't know if it's pronounced So Me or if it's... So me, so yeah. me, okay. So me, like you know, it's a, it's a French guy, but he's he's called So me because when he was showing his his art, he was like, oh, it's so it's me. So me. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I think if if I'm not mistaken, I think he comes from like a graffiti kind of background, right? So it kind of yeah, brings that edge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And also, you have put out a huge amount of memorable and varied uh, music videos. And I notice, you know, like digging around in, in some of the more recent releases, you're still doing that for, for new records. You're still doing really cool, interesting, unique music videos. Tell me a bit about the kind of visual identity and how much you control it, like what it's meant to be about. And and, and then I guess if we could also talk a bit about music videos, because yeah. it's they occupy a strange position now, now that everyone is like streaming mm. things all day long, but they don't work like they used to. Mm, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I'm a kid from the 80s. So MTV and, kid. And most MTV kid, yeah. pop culture, Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones, uh, Star Trek, uh, you know, and also, uh, you know, we are, of course, uh, French and European, but starting, you know, to get the influence from uh, from the United States and this pop culture. Uh, which which is a, a beautiful world for a beautiful world sorry for me means something means that uh, you can make a beauty of what is global what is you know mainstream and uh, so imagery uh, uh, communication has always been uh, very important to us and of course since the beginning uh, i put the image at the same level as the music of course we are music level but uh, for me it wasn't I wasn't ashamed to say that the record needs to sound well, but needs to look good too. And this is what we've done with Somi as uh, for the record sleeve to be recognizable. When you enter a, a record store at the time, you knew, oh, this is the new Ed Banger because it was uh, end written, it was uh, end made or, or whatever. And uh, But at the same time, Somi 
managed to do an imagery for DJ Medi and a different imagery for Justice. Yeah. And both of them were completely different. Mm. And uh, and same for the video. For the video, uh, again, I have to, 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 to send love to the Daft Punk boys. They told me since the beginning, Let's work with the best one. We work with uh, Michel Gondry, uh, Roman Coppola, Spike Jones, Seb Janiak. Uh, we we work with a lot of different uh, artists and invest a lot of money at the time in videos. Yeah. But videos, it's true that you know in the 90s or early 2000 means something because the, the music television still exists. Yeah. Not anymore. But I love it as an art. You know, like uh, for me, you express yourself not in music but in, in video, and it's it's a piece of art uh, itself. And this is why we continue to do it with uh, Justice. Uh, you know, we work, uh, we, we give uh, his chance to Somi to do his first videos with us. Uh, Romain Gavras, uh, so a lot, uh, Alice Moitié, which is a, a French uh, upcoming photographer that you will see soon. Sorry, yeah, from her, she, she she's going to be very talented and she's working a lot of our recent videos. Videos is the continuity of an album for me. Once the artist is out of his studio, when he's, he creates the videos, for me, he's, he's doing like extra tracks, you know, mm. and uh, and this is why we, we give it uh, so much uh, attention. And again, it's funny what you say, streaming, uh, attention of people. People are, when there is a new album, they are listening to it one day and then the next day, they oh, when when is the next one coming? But again, we are not slaves of, uh, of this uh, uh, planning or this crazy schedule. We do videos. Even though people, they look at their phone, uh, 15 seconds uh, stories, we, we try to invite them to our world to go, okay, take your time, go watch this video, trust us, you know, and this is what's what the most precious with Ed Banger and, and, and his community is that the people are trusting us and they are following us for, for 18 years now. Let's talk also about the way that Daft Punk especially had such an impact on how dance music is experienced visually, particularly with the Alive tour in 2007, um, which is one of the biggest regrets of my entire life is that I did not go to that. Oh, you, you didn't see you didn't see any of the I show? knew I was making a mistake even when it was happening. I was like, I should probably be going to this. And then immediately, it's honestly, I, I regret it more with every passing day, to be honest. <laughs> Shall you're, in, you're, you're, you're in London, huh? Yeah. I think they played it. I think they played in Hyde Park or something, right? It was like a huge. We did, one. We did Hyde Park exactly. Yeah. I remember. I remember that I didn't go. It was anyway. Mm. It was an important tour for lots of reasons, and I think it would have been huge and famous had it simply been, you know, a hit in Europe. But I think really you can make a strong argument that when Daft Punk took that tour to America, they unleashed a very powerful force that later became EDM, possibly. Because there were people who saw that show, like, I think, Skrillex, people like that, who... Yeah, this is what I wanted to tell you. The only, the, the best answer is coming from Skrillex. Right. So he did he see it at Coachella, maybe? Was that when yeah, he... Yeah, he was there. He was there. He was there in 2006. We didn't know each other at the time, but later on, I, I met him, of course. Yeah. And he told me, watching Daft Punk live, I decided to start to make music. I guess the thing is, what they showed was that you could make dance music into a live experience in a way that perhaps people hadn't fully grasped yet, right? And I mean, it comes back to the heavy metal disco thing as well, in a sense, isn't it? It's like, how do you make two guys standing over some machines into like an epic experience? And I think that's probably the show that like proved it the most at that time. Exactly. It was a, a musically like a crazy performance because the, they had like three albums out at the time. So putting the three albums together and make it like a crazy medley sonically was something 
uh, unbelievable. And as you said, how, you know, like two guys be behind computers, of course, Kraftwerk did it better than anyone else. Let's be fair here. Kraftwerk did tr did do this also. <laughs> this is why. This is why I'm mentioning. This is why I'm mentioning Kraftwerk. Yeah. Uh, and Daft Punk had the power to to create a visual piece that break boundaries at the time. Let's go back. You know, 14, 15 years ago, uh, all those uh, walls of LEDs and lights they were not that common. Mm. You know, today you can get the LEDs in a in a Nottingham uh, nightclub without dissing Nottingham, but uh, You know, like we had to rent all the LEDs from Belgium to do the Coachella show. You know, like it was crazy, like uh, ambitious. I mean, technically, you know, and what they did in the in the Coachella desert, yeah, they proved that uh, electronic act could be a main stage or a, an headliner, you know. Yeah. And the next year, uh, you had like an electronic band headlining Coachella. I have a question about Daft Punk and that show though which is that can they see through their helmets to see what they're doing because it doesn't look like they can oh yeah, yeah of course but it's all, like yeah, it's completely course, fully you know tinted what? i was looking at it on the like clips from the live tour and i was just like what if they're just not doing anything and they're just or do they have like a separate like screen thing inside the helmet but okay i believe you no no they can see and i can even share with you a little secret they even add a little fan oh. inside the helmet That also makes sense because the rest of their outfit is like leather. So they must be super hot because they'd be they, wearing they like were, those biker jackets. They were jackets. sweating. Yeah. Exactly. So we put some fun into the, the, <laughs> the mask. Inspired. Um, okay. I want to move to sort of 2006-ish. So because we're, ta we're talking about Daft Punk, but like Justice... Sorry, I should say Justice really, shouldn't I? So this was a, always a big argument at the time of like, if you were a true Ed ahead, then you would say Justice. Um, justice. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're talking about Daft Punk, but Justice sold more records in France than Daft Punk at that time, right? In 2006. They were huge, like truly, truly huge. Yeah, I mean, the first album was a, a, a pretty big success yeah. and, and their single Dance was like on every rotation on the, on the, on the radio. Mm. So yeah, definitely like two, we are in 2007. Oh yeah, okay. We are 2007 and this is the end of the Daft Punk tour and the beginning of the Justice uh, era. Yeah, you must have been quite tired at that point. <laughs> You'd just done like this huge tour and then suddenly your own label is just like going crazy. It was, a, a, of course, a non-stop uh, journey, you know, between uh, Daft Punk and, and, and Justice. But at the beginning, we managed to have like a, a parallel uh, road. And uh, for example, uh, while uh, Daft Punk was on tour in the US, I had Justice DJing at the same time. So I was able to, to do both, you know, and the, the, the energy was good. In fact, Thomas and Guiman were kind of big brothers of, of, of uh, Xavier and Gaspar. Mm -hmm. we, we, they, they, they get along uh, uh, quite well. Uh, we did few uh, cross interviews in France. Uh, it was, it, it was really fun uh, till uh, Justice starting to be uh, big and till the time that Punk started to finish the tour and come back to Paris and, uh, and think about the future. And of course, I was more involved with the Ed Banger project and Justice than with Daft Punk. And especially because it was, when you work with a band, the in-between two albums uh, sometimes can be a bit, uh, you, 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 I feel useless. Mm. So this is why I definitely jumped into the, the Ed Banger. And uh, we decided with Daft Punk to, to end our uh, collaboration, uh, which was like a 12 years uh, 
collaboration, which was uh, which was amazing. Very naturally, uh, I moved and I focused on Ed Banger, and and then this is why I sang uh, Justice. We released uh, DJ Medi first album. Yep. Uh, we sang uh, Sebastian, Mr. Wazo Kamin, uh, Breakboat, etc., etc. And 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 uh, and I created uh, something in, uh, the other day. Uh, when when Daft Punk announced the, the, the their separation, I said like, yeah, it was a, lo- a big heritage, you know, to carry and a big uh, responsibility. And I think Ed Banger was my answer to this mm. uh, heritage. Like, uh, okay, they did something big, big. Sorry, so let let me do something as big uh, as possible. And it's Ed Banger, so I'm not saying it's as big uh, as Daft Punk, but uh, it, it it needed to be as strong, you know. Mm. Well, this was a fun time, basically. There were a lot of great records and some good parties, and I was definitely at some of them. Could you just describe, perhaps, let's say, the wildest party that you can remember from this era, the most fun party that you can remember from this era, if you can remember any? Wow, okay. One of the wildest. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to keep this one for a book, but I, <gasps> your, your sympathetic shall Give so us I a preview. With, I, a preview. I can share with you. This one especially is uh, is is interesting because it was a Daft Punk after party. Daft Punk performed live in uh, Toronto, 2007. Okay. And at the same time, we did an after party with uh, Sebastian, uh, Kavinsky, uh, me, and some other DJs. And it was for me the reunion of, of course, the mm. Daft Punk and the Ed Banger uh, family. So we did the Daft Punk show. Where did you say it was? In Toronto. Toronto. Great. Yes. Okay. In, in Toronto, Canada. Yeah. And then we did the after party like in a club called the Mod Club, which is sadly closed now, but we had like some amazing parties there. People went crazy. And of course, in Toronto, what I like is that after the after party, there is the after party. <laughs> like R. Kelly used to say. Um, I know it's very bad to quote R. Kelly, but fuck it. Yeah, well, he was uh, right about that one particular thing, I guess. This one, he was right. Mm. And uh, and then we ended up uh, in a kind of a student apartment, but pretty well uh, organized. And we we did a, a crazy party with the Daft Punk guys, of course, unmasked. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, Sebastian and Kavinsky fooled of probably uh, five bottles of vodka each <laughs> uh, and I ended up d- dressed as a girl uh, so it was a pretty uh, crazy party who gave you um, their clothes? a girl I, a girl <laughs> I met and uh, she wasn't shy and uh, <laughs> and I think and I if I remember well I lost my phone which oh, never happened to, which never happened to me yeah so you have the. I let you imagine the rest, but uh, did did Daft Punk actually play as well? Is that the idea? At the after party, or were they kind of just hanging around? No, no, they were hanging out. They they just hang around. Mm. Uh, yeah, they didn't play. No, the one of the other wildest one is when Thomas uh, DJ with me for my birthday in uh, in Los Angeles at Cine Space. Uh, wow. I, I don't know if you've seen recently a lot of videos pop again. Uh, we were DJing DJ Medi, uh, me and, and and some of our friends at Cine Space in Los Angeles, and uh, I was DJing. And Medi went to see Thomas uh, and told him, "Okay, it's Pedro's birthday. Go get the go on the decks." And uh, he played like a, a rolling and scratching from Daft Punk and uh, Prince. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> which one from Prince? Uh, I don't remember the, the song from Prince, but uh, people went crazy because. For like one minute, <laughs> front of the people were like, oh, who is this guy? And then one guy said, oh, that's Thomas of the Punk. And then the club went <laughs> mental. So yeah, but I will, I will keep some uh, more details for the 
for the book. For the for the book. So when's when's the book? Uh, when is the book? I don't know. But it's, uh, to be, it's I'm, I, I I used to say as a joke, but for a few months now, I'm really thinking about it. Definitely. And um, because I, you know, like in twenty in twenty twenty three, we're gonna be twenty years of Ed Banger, and I think wow. uh, it's a good timing to tell about Ed Banger as we are doing now, and also since mm. you know Daft Punk doesn't exist anymore. I think it will make uh, something interesting, uh, you know, from Daft Punk to Wedbanger to, you know, to, to do what's next. Yeah, well, I strongly agree, definitely. All right, so one thing that happened to Ed Banger, which is perhaps a little bit unusual that not all labels will have will have gone through, is that um, you really were like an it label for several years. You were like label of the year for a few years running, huge. Um mm. And also, you know, part of a, a specific kind of youth cultural, pop cultural moment, a, a wave. But of course, nobody can be that it label forever. So things things change. I'm kind of wondering, like, how did you how did you deal with the come down from that whole period and the inevitable mm-hmm. sort of copycat artists and things like that? What what were the years after that explosion like for you? Now I have to show off a little bit. But uh, please do. My, my, <laughs> one of my one of my strengths is to be patient. That, that's what I've learned with Daft Punk is that uh, patience is the key. And exactly as you said, you know, it, it you know uh, when we were label of the year in Herb magazine in two thousand seven, in Accelerator in two thousand eight. You know, it it felt good and it makes sense at the time. And then of course, some years you go a bit quieter or you you release some music that don't get the same attention but um, I, I believe uh, it's been a few years now that uh, we get attention again and I think it, it's also uh, due to the uh, the age of, of our uh, community you know like uh, now you know some people are telling me oh uh, I didn't know about uh, to the 2006 uh, era I'm discovering uh, just right now you know like the younger crowd yeah and it's, it's also interesting to work again to excite a new generation and I'm not against being uh, label of the year in 2021, you know, like, uh, but to go back to the, the, the core of your question, you, you have to, to accept the game and to be patient, you know, like me, I, uh, I, I, as you can feel now, you know, we are not running after uh, being a cool or number one, you know, we just let do things, accept when you have to be a bit in the shadow at some times, shine again, the label life, you know, uh, it's um, it's uh, you know when you say you are a hit label, I I know we did some pretty good songs and and, and project, but uh, we are far from uh, you know uh, like the big uh, mainstream uh, hit labels. But uh, I I think what people like is our is our story, you know, like which is musically, uh, personally, what we reflect, what we what we look like, you know, the the fact that our little family. And also, there is a lot of um, good feelings and good attention from the people. You know, uh, of course, you know the the, the fact that we lost uh, DJ Medi and Philippe uh, Zdar of Cassius. Yeah, between our fans and us, um, a lot of compassion, but in a good way. You know, like I'm not we are, we are not looking for people to to cry on our shoulder. We are, uh, uh, but people um, uh, relate to us. I don't know if it, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, there is uh, something, uh, you know, like a, a true family or friendship uh, link that makes our relationship special and by the 
by the fact make the label special. Mm-hmm. You know, I tr- I truly believe this. When um, Mehdi died in in 2011, which amazingly is 10 years ago, which yeah. is very yeah, strange to think. Crazy. Did you always want to carry on with the label without him? No, the well, the next few days, uh, of course, no. I was like, oh, I was totally lost, especially, but more as a personal uh, thing. It was the first time I was seeing uh, death. You know, like I, I lost my grandparents, which is natural, you know. But 2011 was the first time I was confronted. So I was mm. completely uh, lost. Wow. Uh, so, of course, continue the label was like a question. But uh, quickly, the energy came back and uh, maybe in a philosophy or uh, way like I wanted, you know, to make the label uh, shine again for him, uh, you know, be, and uh, because he was very, very attached to the to, to, to the label and we, we were the two, you know, of us uh, really representing the label, you know. Then quickly I decided, okay, let's, let's, let's continue. Of course, it was a bit hard. And, you know, when you mentioned about, you know, the low time of the label, it it's it makes sense. I, I totally accept it, and I'm not uh, taking this as a, an excuse. You know, like I'm not saying, "Oh, guys, give us a break." We were we were completely uh, devastated, so maybe we lost a few years to you know to go back, uh, you know, to find the energy again uh, to to do a, a, a project and stuff. But uh, I'm, uh, you know, it, it's 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 uh, one of the the sad days of our life we had to cross and. Uh, and now, as you said, you know, it's been 10 years. So I'm, I'm thinking, uh, we, we are thinking of uh, releasing a, a, a project, some unreleased music I have from Mehdi. Mm. I would love some people to uh, revisit his first album also because uh, Mehdi passed away uh, 10 years ago and we released his al- first album 15 years mm. ago. So we continue. We often, uh, like, uh, you know, he's with us every day. We, me, I'm not, um, you know, like we started this interview in an optimistic way. And every time I'm speaking, I'm speaking about Mehdi, it's always with uh, joy and a smile. You know, there is no, the drama was on the day of the accident. Mm. And since then, there is no more drama. You know, it's all about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, life. And let's try to, uh, again, very personal. But since then, I, I was already optimistic. But since then, I'm like, uh, I am in the team of let's enjoy life as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So let's get rid of. I don't. I don't uh, waste my time in a problem or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Philippe briefly as well. Who we should also kind of raise a glass to Philippe of Cassius because mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. um, he's almost like a bit of a well, not like a secret star of of the Parisian scene, but it was you know was was a mm-hmm. huge presence, but perhaps isn't so well known. Exactly, true, 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 true. You're completely right. He was more a man of the shadow uh, first because, as uh, as his job as a music producer or sound engineer, he's in he's he's behind the window. He's not the, the artist. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, working with the Beastie Boys, Cat Power, uh, Phoenix, uh, Kindness. He did he did uh, you know uh, um, the last project he worked with was for Hotship, the last album, mm. the last Hotship album, and. Um, First, he was very talented as a sound engineer, as an artist. He did Cassius, but also few people know because it's it's way back. He released Motor Bass, which was one of the first electronic uh, album from France, which is for me the milestone. It was before Daft Punk. It's it's the for me it's like a it's a diamond, you know. Mm. And personally, also, he he, he was a, a very intense 
and handsome uh, man mm-hmm. um, and very uh, generous and uh, exactly like Mehdi, uh, they were like people who bring people together. Again, we had to cross this all together. We realized that we were strong. You know, we had like a big family around us. A lot of people show us uh, love and uh, and support. Mm. It means so much. You know, it means that, uh, uh, of course, people love them. And also, they were a very good. They, people took good care of us. Right. Okay. Okay. You know, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, again, that's, that makes our story special. You know, again, you know, like... Uh, uh, I'm touching wood for for this not to happen mm-hmm. uh, anymore, but uh, but that's life. And same, we continue. You know, uh, we have uh, uh, some mu- music project to share again, uh, and uh, and again, uh, uh, Philippe was someone who enjoy life more than anyone else. I'm happy to continue and take this heritage of mm-hmm. let's enjoy life as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So you got back to production yourself a few years ago with the uh, My Hawthorne track. Which is like oh, yes. a real pop song, you know, a pop song, but still, I mean, it's still wait, definitely wait for the next one. Oh, okay. And I was thinking about how, I mean, obviously, it's it's quite obviously a pop song from your world, mm. I think, but it's, it's it's a pop song. Thinking about how Justice kind of turned deeper towards this slightly like classic sound, I guess, on women. Daft Punk went down that kind of route on Random Access Memories of wanting to make like this, yeah. Mm like a studio sound maybe thinking about uh the way that sebastian is making these kind of like concept pop albums I, w- mm. I was wondering a little bit about this kind of if there's a connection in that shift if it's kind of a result of like you know growing up a bit not wanting to be like in the mosh pit or in the middle of the dance floor anymore do you think yeah but there's, <laughs> there is definitely something uh linked to the the age and there is this ambitious of mm. uh, trying to move things uh, above, you know, I mean, when I'm saying above, making people dance, making people uh, jump, making people cry, uh, we know how to do it, you know, uh, like uh, producing uh, dance records or club uh, records or stuff like that. We know how to do it, but play making songs, you know, to be played on radio, being played on an airplane or, you know, like uh, uh, we manage to do it sometimes, but not all the time. And so this is our way to do it, not trying to to fit what people can expect, you know, from the the pop world. Mm. But I don't think too much. It's the next song I'm releasing uh, in June. Uh, it's true that for once I said, okay, I want a, like a, a singing format. You know, uh, there is still a, a lot of instrumental into it, but I wanted it to be a, a song A side, and the B side will be an hip hop track. So. Mm. Um, I still, uh, you know, I still feel free to to go where we want. Uh, you know, this is we we are not um, format uh, yet. You know. <laughs> Do you think that um, there's an element of striving to reach those kind of higher heights and making that perfect pop song and making that kind of ultimate music that everyone can enjoy? Of course, of course, this is our like the, the, the like the dream or goal or. Uh, uh, objective of course this is uh, oh, oh, every musician wants to reach you know the popularity or like uh, the but there is a way of doing it and uh, ra- rather you do like a very uh, you know uh, cheesy uh, cheesy way you know like the top 40 way when i'm when i'm listening you know sometimes uh, uh, for example um, some of the calvin harris songs you know, because he's, he's definitely a, a number one hit maker. 
some of them are very well produced and super well uh, done, you know, like, uh, and this, you know, we can only be happy for him to be number one because he deserves it. And, uh, and, and musically, it's uh, very good. Uh, sometimes, even though it's, he's my friend, when I'm listening to David Guetta's number one, you know, I'm not too, too much uh, happy with it. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but uh, so you can't be happy uh, all the time. So, yeah, we are, we are, of course, we are all chasing uh, to make the, the perfect uh, pop songs. But, you know, uh, there is uh, sometimes uh, some nice accident uh, when you listen to Groove is in the Heart from Delight uh, back in, uh, in the 90s. You know, like uh, it was like a freaky weirdo band from New York uh, doing a crazy uh, uh, club uh, tracks. And, and we, we can only be happy that they were number one, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you look at Frank Ocean, uh, Blondie be became number one and the record is a piece of art, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there is a way, there is always a way to bring uh, your creativity at a certain point. Uh Daft Punk did it. Well, did. yeah. So, so I, but I wonder, like, like Daft Punk really did do it. And if they hadn't already done it by the time of they got to Get Lucky, then Get Lucky did it, right? Like, that's, mm. you know, I kind of wonder if, do you think that's something to do with the reason that they've decided to stop making music together? Like, they've, they've just kind of completed it? <laughs> no, no, I, no, no, I don't think so. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think, to be honest with you, I don't have any uh, more uh, info uh, about the, the, the fact that why they decided to, to, but it just, I think, you know, they've been doing music 20 years, 28 years uh, together. Maybe at some point, you know, they, they, they were not, uh, you know, at the, uh, going in the same direction. You know? sure. So that's, that's the only uh, real uh, response, I guess, mm. you know, like, uh, but it's not about the, the I, I don't, I don't think, they achieve, you know, like a certain level, and then look at it and say, "Oh, we've done it all. <laughs> let's 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 give up." I don't think so. Not not this kind of artist, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and and what proves it is that they will make music separately. Yeah. So right. They, they still have stuff to to say, and who knows? Maybe Thomas Mangalter will have a number one record, even bigger than Get Lucky uh, in two or three or five years. I don't know. Yeah. 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 It seems possible. It seems possible. Um, all right. Final, final, final question. I mean, lockdown has gone on a long time. And I think now mm. that the end is possibly in sight, I don't think it's as simple as it was where we were all just desperate to be in the club again. Like it's, that's a, it's going to be a weird, weird thing to be back in a club with people and whatever. Please describe what your perfect return to the club would be like. What is your perfect wow. party comeback? What are the necessary ingredients for you? First ingredient, I need my daughters to be with their, with their grandmother. <laughs> I, I need... I, I need safely to make hidden sure away. <laughs> safely out, out of the apartment for the next uh, 48 hours. Okay, you've got that. First, Number first, one. first thing, I need to, to arrange the, the family business. Then um, I think uh, me and my girlfriend will get uh, drunk uh, hard and we are not big drinkers. But honestly, I know it's stupid to say that, but because I should say about music first, but no, we definitely want to get a bit, uh, what's uh, your, a bit drunk. What's your drink of choice? Uh, for gin and tonic any, or any anything with vodka. I'm more into uh, uh, white alcohol. Clear spirits. Like Clear spirits, Clear spirits, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But the party, honestly, we'll see. You know, it's a tricky question because I'm not to, uh, even though I'm an optimistic guy, will we party during the summer or will we go back to clubs early winter? You know, 
And it makes a difference because if we are in the summer, of course, we can find some outdoor parties, uh, T-shirt, sweat, uh, walking back home at seven in the morning when the day is, is coming up. And this is a different thing than going to a club while it's snowing, going back <laughs> home with a big uh, puffy jacket, uh, sweaty, uh, and you, do, you lost your keys in the club. Uh, <laughs> But I don't know. But what, what I say, what I mean is that honestly, anywhere uh, uh, it it can be uh, in any club. Uh, you know, like the, the the lineup for sure will be crazy because all the DJs will be available. Oh yeah, everybody will want to DJ. Yeah, I will DJ for free. Uh, <laughs> I will DJ for six hours if someone asks me. Like, Great. Um, put that out so, um, Who would you have DJing if it was your choice of lineup as well as you in Paris? Yeah. Well, they don't have to be from Paris. Just a dream lineup. Wow. Oh, dream lineup. Yeah, go on. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, dream lineup. They have to be like a present day person, though. You can't, you can't say like Frankie Knuckles. Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, Those are the rules. Okay, okay. That's, that's t- t- I didn't think about it. A crazy lineup. I, I, w- I will definitely ask... Uh, Laurent Garnier a favor because I have to 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 send love to him uh, because we didn't mention his name during our talk and he's definitely a, a, a key person in our uh, yeah we skipped over our... that era a bit didn't we I'm afraid yeah, yeah. no but it's, it's interesting figure. because oh, of course he was he was there before us but it's, he's still here today and you know we 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 are doing some project together and um, I, I love watching him DJ I even had the chance to DJ with him. So I will book Laurent Garnier okay. for sure. Great. My, uh, I, I love when I told you about loyalty. Mm. Personally, aussi, I have the same loyalty for the artists I love. And I love them in 1995 and I love them in 2021. I would love to have uh, Louis Vega and Kenny Dope together again as masters at work. Yes, so, that would Laurent, be you... amazingly good. <laughs> uh, that would be exactly the right vibe as well for the comeback wouldn't it you know just like that's the that's the mood that you want to recreate yeah. the kind of peak masters at work just yeah oh yes and for my hip-hop uh, heads i would i would love to bring back dj premier because he's the guardian of the temple of uh, hip-hop uh, new york style uh, boom bap rap what which which i love um right. and in a more to finish, uh, because all those names are, are, you know, from the past, like, I mean, from the past and the present, but let's find uh, some artists from the from, from the future. I will book Mead, because Mead not only is a good headbanger, is a new headbanger artist, but also is a very good DJ, and is the future. And uh, and I think it's always interesting to not to forget, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, of course, the, 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 the young artist, and also Shal because people are going to be crazy at me. I will book Cheryl to represent our uh, uh, our female uh, uh, DJs. Uh, and because Cheryl, I saw her DJ and I love the energy. She has, the, the music she plays is full of energy and the way she's playing it yes. is also incredible. And I love uh, people. Mehdi was like that. When you look at them, dancing jumping all around it's uh it's it's it's, it's crazy yeah, so that's yeah. that's a pretty good lineup i think we can sell tickets we can do we can do a pre-sale uh, right now it's going to be kind of expensive do you think you can actually no you're right you're right everyone's going to want to play for like no money because they're just desperate exactly great get in exactly. there now pedro thank you so much for your time thank you shal
You've been listening to Relevant Parties from Carhartt Work in Progress. If you want to dive into more music from the labels in this series, check out the Relevant Parties playlist on Spotify. You can find the link in the show notes. And remember, you can subscribe to Relevant Parties so that you never miss an episode. It's available wherever good podcasts are found. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts. We'd really love to know what you think. So thanks for listening and join me next time for more stories behind the world's best record labels. 